Wonderful. I'd love it if you could turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, page 1157. We have two sermons left in our series in 1 Corinthians. I know. We started back in September. It's been nearly a whole year we've been doing this. Two sermons left. And I'm going to read the end of 1 Corinthians 15, page 1157. I'm going to read from verse 50 to the end. So Paul, the man who wrote this letter, says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor, Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound... The dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Um, I apologize if you are afraid of snakes. Um, don't worry too much. <laughs> it's not, we're not going to release one wild. Um, it's just a picture. Don't worry. Uh, but I apologize if you're afraid of snakes. But I want to use this image of a snake because... That great declaration in the middle of what we've just read is where, O death, is your sting? Where's your poison? Where's your venom? Where's your power gone, death? And I want to paint a picture this afternoon for you of a venomous snake that has had its venom removed. So all that it can now do is suck you. (laughs) No longer can it bite and inject its poison. All it can now do actually is kiss you. What a difference if death could go from being something which injects its venomous poison and instead simply become something which is a kiss to us. That's what I want us to try and see this afternoon. And we're going to see this is important because all of us are defined by our relationship with death. There's lots of things in our, you know, the things we do and the places we were born and where we're from. There are lots of things that define us. But one of the things that define what it means to be human is that we all have this relationship with death, this snake. We know that one day we will die. It's why we talk about human beings being mortal. Mortal means We're going to die. And therefore we stand in this relationship with death, which actually, to be honest, is just pretty distressing. 
pretty hard. But that's why this is such good news. Because look, look what it says. There's the same phrase twice. This is my first big one. We've got two big points. It's not difficult this afternoon. The first big point is we will all be changed. And the second big point is that, oh, not that. The second big point is something else. There it is. That death will be utterly defeated. Those are the two things you can see. We will all be changed and death will be utterly defeated. So let's go, ooh, no, now we're going back to the songs. Um, we will all be changed. Now, last week, we were thinking about how our bodies will be changed. If you weren't here, you'd have to go back, and I'm not doing all that again. Big stuff. That was last week. This week, the interesting thing is the change that's going to happen that Paul is talking about here is our relationship, our standing with death is going to change. That's what we're going to see. Now, you'll see that this phrase comes up twice. It's there at the end of verse 51. We will all be changed. And it's there again Um, At the end of verse 52, we will be changed. Something magnificent and extraordinary is going to happen to all those who belong to Jesus, to all those who have placed their confidence in Jesus, who say, Jesus, you're my Jesus, you're my saviour, like we've been singing, to all those who would call Jesus their saviour, we will all be changed. So let's just work our way through the verses. What is this change that he's talking about? We're going to pick up from verse 51. We did verse 50 at the end of last week. Firstly, do you see, um, he says this change is a mystery. So look what he says. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Paul is telling him a mystery. Now in the Bible... A mystery doesn't mean a mystery like it means in our language. A mystery is something you go, oh, it's a mystery, (laughs) like that. In fact, I found someone earlier today having exactly that experience. I won't tell you who it was, but you know who you are, Sam. Um, (laughs) Sorry, did I look your way? Sorry, Sam. Uh, There was an experience with a microphone stand, and and it clearly was just a mystery. How to put the microphone stand, it was like, I don't know, right? I, I... don't know how this goes. It's a mystery. Except that I, in a rare moment of extraordinary insight, actually knew how it worked. <laughs> so I said, it's okay. Don't worry. I'll show you. And I revealed the mystery. I know this is not very exciting. This is a better... <laughs> I realize that how the microphone stand works is not the greatest mystery to reveal. I get that. I'm just trying to make a point. A mystery is something that is revealed. Something you could not know any other way unless it was shown to you. And this moment when we will be changed is something you could never work out on your own. Because as far as I can see, from my own understanding of what I see with my ears, my ears, my eyes, man, what I see with my eyes, this is how life works. You're born, you live, you die, that's the end. That's what it looks like to me. But there's a mystery that has to be revealed to us. So keep your finger on 1 Corinthians 15, but just go back to chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. He's already used this language, right? This is not new. He's used this idea of a mystery. So chapter 2, verse 7, look at this. No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden 
and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things that God has revealed to us by his Spirit. In other words, there is a mystery that no human eye can see and no human mind can understand. You cannot work this out, but God has revealed his plan and his plan is that we will all be changed. And so if you're sitting here this afternoon thinking, well, it doesn't look like that to me. Actually, what you need is for God to reveal it to you. You need to listen to him and what he says. When I revealed to Sam how the microphone stand worked, Sam could have ignored me. And he could have said, no, that's rubbish. That's not how it works. I'm going to do it my way. And we'd still be here waiting for the PA to be set up. (laughs) But when someone reveals a mystery, you listen to them. An essential mystery has been revealed. Okay, well, let's, let's keep going. So it's an essential mystery. It's something that can be known now. It's an eye twinkle moment. <laughs> this change that's going to take place is something that's going to happen instantaneously in the twinkling of an eye. This change, which we're coming to, which God is revealing, is something that will happen in a moment. It's not a change that takes time. You know, lots of changes in our lives take time. I didn't go bald overnight. That took time. I've been working on this for many years. Most changes in our lives, they they take time, not this one. This change that is coming will be absolutely decisive in the twinkle of an eye. I listened to someone this week try and work out how long a twinkle of an eye is. And he was very clear that it's not a blink. It's not different to a blink. (laughs) Genuinely. I'm sitting there going, look, I get it. It's short. Okay. (laughs) He said it's like a micro a sixth of a nanosecond or something. Anyway, I don't care. It's short, right? It's very quick. This change that's going to take place will happen in a moment. Okay, here's the third thing we see. We're just working through the verses, see what it says. It will happen when the trumpet blasts, right? In verse 52, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound... And the dead will be raised. There'll be a trumpet sound. We've got to get, this is so powerful, so dramatic. There is a moment coming when a trumpet will sound and we go, what? That's that's the mystery, it's been revealed. A trumpet will sound and that sound will be the most powerful sound that has ever been heard in the whole of human history. That sound will bring about this twinkling of an eye change. It's interesting in the Bible, trumpets, they, they were quite big into trumpets. God's people in the Old Testament, back before Jesus, they had these trumpets, they had silver trumpets. You can read about them in Numbers. They were big into them. They were important because what the trumpet meant was when the trumpet was blasted, all of God's people gathered. Trumpet blast means get together, people. We're setting out. So the trump, that's what the trumpet means. It's to gather Now, if you know the story of Israel, the Old Testament, God's people ended up, and and Janet was praying about this in her prayer, God's people ended up being scattered into all the different nations because they sinned against God. They ended up all over the place, scattered. 
Turn to um, Isaiah 27. Isaiah 27, it's on page 663. Oh, no, it's not. That's Proverbs. Sorry, I'm so... That's hopeless. Isaiah, yes, 711. Let's try that. Here is someone writing, a man called Isaiah, writing before Jesus. Look what he says is going to happen one day. So he's saying to God's people who've been scattered into all the nations, look at what it says um, in verse 12. In that day, the Lord will thrash from the flowing Euphrates to the wadi of Egypt, and you, Israel, will be gathered up one by one. And in that day, a great trumpet will sound. Those who were perishing in Assyria and those who were exiled in Egypt will come and worship the Lord on the holy mountain in Jerusalem. And that idea of the trumpet is to gather all of God's people. Now here is Paul taking the same language of the trumpet and saying, you who've been scattered into the place of the death, you, you, those who've died, those who belong to Jesus but who've died, the trumpet will blast and they will be gathered. And what about those who haven't fallen asleep? What about those who are still alive on that day when the trumpet sounds and the twinkling eye happens, the mystery is revealed? What, what, what about them? Well, they'll be there too. They'll be gathered. They'll hear the trumpet. One trumpet blast will gather every single human being who has ever trusted in Jesus. All of them. One trumpet blast. They all hear it. There's the trumpet. Let's go. We're on the move. You know, see? What a moment. The trumpet sounds... And then the fourth thing is that the great change takes place. When the trumpet sounds, the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. That means the ones who haven't died, we will be changed. Those who haven't yet died. Verse 53, for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. In other words, your whole, the change that's going to take place is how death affects you. Your relationship with death. Remember death, the snake. That snake, the death, your relationship will now change. You will no longer be mortal. Now you will become immortal. Mortal, dying, is clothed with immortality. You're going to get a new set of clothes to wear. Well, it's more than that, actually. You're going to get a new body to wear. You're going to get a new body which does not die. A new body which... Death can't touch. Death has got hold of my body all the time. I'm dying, even now, right now, I'm dying. That's what I'm doing, right before your eyes. I'm dying before you. But, not the new body. Because then, death will be removed and my relationship with death will be changed completely. Now, I just want to... That, that is an extraordinary thing, okay? It's an extraordinary claim to make. But I want to show you that if that's true, if it's true that death one day will have no hold on you, it changes how you view death now. And it's got to change how we view death now. We live in a culture that although we don't like to talk about death, we are absolutely ruled by death. It rules all the decisions we make. Let me just try the, okay, here's four ways that death changes things, right? Just try these out, see if you recognize any of these. It might lead you to an obsession with the now. 
you know, I know that one day death's going to strike. I know that one day I'm going to die and therefore I'm going to enjoy everything I can now. Let us eat and drink now because tomorrow we're going to die. Let's get as much stuff as I can. Let's enjoy as much as I can now. I've got to do it now because I know that death is coming. Now, of course, you never say that. You you never say it's because death's coming. But that's what's going on, right? In our culture that's so obsessed to get everything now, I want it now, now, now. That's because death rules. Because if there was no death, we wouldn't be stressed about now, would we? So I'll do it in a million years. You know what? I'll get around to that in a million years' time. It's fine. No, no, because death rules. We know that a million years doesn't exist. We know that 70 years doesn't necessarily exist, and therefore I've got to do it now. You see how death rules us, even though we don't, <laughs> even though we don't talk about it? That's one way, but it doesn't all, not everyone's like that. Okay, let's be honest. Some people, it leads to a defiant activism. They say, right, well, if death's coming, then I will do everything I can to live the best life I can and make as much difference as I can now. I'll do as much good as I can. Now, I want to say to you, I think that's a much better option than option one. I think people who live like that are terrifically better people than people who live like obsessed with now. But you see, they're still ruled by death. Because the the whole time frame they're working is, well, I'm going to invest my life now. I'm I'm going to do everything I can now. It's because death is still coming. So whether you're obsessed with the present or whether you're an activist, defiant, fighting for social justice, which is terrific, you're still ultimately defined by death. It might lead you to angry cynicism. You might just throw your hands up and go, well, what's the stupid point of this whole thing? What's the point of life? if It's, just, it's so meaningless. It's so futile. This is stupid. That's how some people are, react, isn't it, to death? Or it might lead you to the pursuit of a legacy. What a word that is in our culture. I want a legacy. I want something that will last. I want people to remember my name. Uh, a few years ago, we went uh, as a family to Hyde Park. And we went to the Diana Memorial Fountain. What a lovely thing that is on a hot day. Have you been to the... It's very worth it. It's lovely. It's a fount- It's kind of a thing. Some water. <laughs> and you can stand in it and it cools you down. It's, it's great, right? It's terrific. We had a happy time playing in the water at the Memorial Fountain. Then we went to the D- Diana Memorial Playground. Where there's a pirate ship. And it's... It was great. We had a very happy day. Walking home, on the way home, one of my kids looked at me and he said, Dad, who's Diana? Who's Diana? I was like, that's extraordinary. Probably the most famous woman. One generation. And it's like, well, who's she? And yet we're desperate for a legacy. It's because death rules us. And, and this whole thing of death sort of defines how we do life. So let me say to you, if you belong to Jesus, this sets you free. You don't have to have everything now. You can fight for social justice. You can fight for what is right. You can do the right thing now because it's good. It's not because it's, oh, I've got to make the most of my life. It's just, no, get on with it. You don't have to become angry and cynical and you don't have to make a name for yourself. It sets you free. 
But I want to move on to the, the second point. Because um, that first point was long. This is shorter. We all still it's quite warm, I know, I'm sorry. But, you know, this is the good bit, right? Um, so we will all be changed. Secondly, death will be utterly defeated. So have a look at verse 54. We've seen this change that's going to happen where death suddenly we, it hasn't changes completely its relationship with us. But verse 54, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, so when that moment happens, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. I was thinking this week about the, the best way to describe a victory over someone. And I can't think of anything more comprehensive than to swallow someone up. That's, I mean, that's, that's not just we beat them, is it? And it's not just, uh, you know, it was, a, it was close, but we just scraped through. It's not even we thrashed them. To swallow them up means they are very small. And you just kind of, where'd they go? It's like at the end of Captain Hook, when the hook gets swallowed up by the crocodile. Doesn't matter. A uh, little, little uh, Disney reference. <laughs> Love it. And I want you to understand that what is happening, what is being described here, is the not just the death of death, but the utter humiliation of death. This snake that runs around, which bites all the time, which none of us are immune to. All of us face death. One day, that is not simply going to be removed or defeated or destroyed. It's going to be swallowed up. It's going to be utterly humiliated. It's going to be left completely powerless. What a day. In fact, to such an extent that humanity will take up a taunt against death. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? You're not singing anymore. You're not singing. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Come on then, death. You think you're so powerful? You think you're so brave? Not so brave now, right? You got nothing. Nothing. And then what Paul does, he doesn't just have this kind of taunt and go, na 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 na. He then says, and this is why. He gives a theological underpinning for why death will be swallowed up. This is why. It's not a kind of nice, happy old ending. There's a theological reason why death is going to be destroyed. Why you can be sure that death will be destroyed. Because of verse 56, look. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know, I've been banging my head against that verse this week. So what does that mean? The sting of death is sin. What a weird thing to say. And the power of sin is the law. What, what, what does that mean? Let me try and... Um, I know this might slightly mess with your kind of brains, but can we just slightly change the metaphor with the snake for a second? Imagine the snake kind of grows, kind of stands up, which, which snakes will never do because the Bible says that. But anyway, imagine the snake stands up and, uh, and becomes a debt collector. <laughs> Okay, and you owe you owe a lot of money. Let's say let's say you owe thirty thousand um, pounds, and you are massively in debt. 
and death, the debt collector, comes to bang on your door. And he's roaring, open the door, open the door. And you're cowering inside, kind of like, and then you hear a smashing on the door and the door is burst open and death strides in and says, you owe 30,000 pounds. You pay now or you come with me. You don't want to go with him. But you can't pay. What is the power of death? What is the power of the debt collector? It's your debt. He has no power over you except the debt that you owe. So imagine the scenario now where the debt has been paid, where you have nothing to owe, where you have no debt to owe. Let's say that someone else has paid that debt for you. They've written a check for £30,000. They've paid it off. There is no debt to pay. It's death. Let me in. And you open the door and you smile. You say, can I help you? He says, yes, you belong to me. So I don't think I do. And you produce the piece of paper that says the debt has been paid. And death has no power because the sting's been removed. Because the sting was the debt. The power was the debt. And once the debt has been removed, death has no hold on you. And here's what Paul is saying. Each one of us owes a massive debt to God. Each one of us has sinned and fallen short. Each one of us deserves for death to sink its teeth, its poison, its venom into us and for us to die for eternity. Each one of us deserves that. But the reason that Jesus came was that Jesus came to die on a cross and at the cross, death sunk its teeth into Jesus. And all the venom and the poison sunk into Jesus. He took it all. He paid it all. He paid what I owe. He paid for every sin. He paid for everything that I owe. The sting has been removed. The sting of death is sin and sin has been removed. The power of sin is the law. The law that showed all the things I'd done wrong. Now I say, look, the law says I'm innocent because my debt has been paid by Jesus. Jesus kept the law. It's all been fulfilled. Death, you have nothing. And so you open the door and you smile in death's face and you say, where, O death, is your victory? Where's your sting? Where's your little bit of paper that says I belong to you? free and actually for the Christian for anyone who belongs to Jesus that is the reality of death we are still physically dying but you know what death has no teeth anymore all that death can do now is come and kiss us And for those who die now trusting Christ, they await a day when the trumpet will sound and in the twinkling of an eye their bodies will be raised and mortality. Thanks be to God, he gives us victory. We don't need to fear. You don't need to do everything now. You don't need to be obsessed with the present. That's what the Corinthians were. 
You don't have to make your mark. You don't have to leave a legacy. You don't have to be awesome. You don't have to make a name for yourself. You don't have to become angry and cynical. Instead, you stare death in its face and you say, come on then, death, what have you got? Because I've got a bit of paper that says my debt's been paid and you've got nothing on me. What a moment. I remember watching my granny die and she knew this was true. It's just different. It's different. She knew what was coming. This is what the Christian hope does in the face of death. This is why there's nothing in our world which even close to compares to what Jesus has done for us in death. And therefore he applies it. Verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Why would you go anywhere else? Why would you pin your hope on anyone else or anything else? Why would you trust anything else? Nothing else can do this with death, only Jesus. And as you stand firm, give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. You know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You could spend your life laboring for yourself, to make a name for yourself, to get yourself rich, to buy a big house, to have a nice family, to do all the stuff that the world says you, and then you die. And death sinks its poison into you. Or you could give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. You could say to Jesus, I need you, I want you, and you could give your life to serving him. It's not a difficult choice. So let's be those who give ourselves fully. Maybe that work is to be a school teacher or to be a banker or to be a missionary or to go and serve in a homeless shelter or to be a husband or a mother or a wife or a granny or a doctor or a hairdresser. I don't care. Give yourself fully to serving Jesus in the place he's put you because it won't be wasted. Why don't we pray together? Heavenly Father, we praise you. Praise you because death has no sting anymore. Lord Jesus, we praise you because you have paid the debt in full. You've taken the sting, the poison of death in order that we might be set free. So we ask that we give ourselves to your work now. We thank you for this mystery that has been revealed that in the twinkling of an eye, at the sound of the trumpet, we will be changed. Father, we long for that day and we celebrate it in Jesus' name. Amen.